Thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. On today's show, we'll talk to John Arnold, who covers FC Dallas for the Striker Texas. We're also going to cover the latest Slovenian fullback rumors, and we're going to discuss what the expectations are for Josh Wolf in his first season as head coach. I'm Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm, I'm Jeremiah Bentley. And before we introduce our other very special guest for the night, we were having this discussion on Twitter last week about the Abbey Road medley from the Beatles, uh, which is probably the greatest piece of music ever, insem- ever assembled. And I had a question for you about whether Her Majesty should officially be counted as part of the medley or not. And you said you had a strong opinion on it. And I need to know what that is. <laughs> okay, well, I'll I'll come clean here and say that it's not that strong of an opinion. I just thought it was funnier to say on Twitter that I had a strong opinion. <laughs> okay. But I do have a fun factoid about the song, which is evidence for why it should be considered part of the medley. Because originally that song, if if you listen to it, you can hear like a little tape clip, like a tape cut as Her Majesty starts. And then... If you go back in between Mean Mr. Mustard and Polythene Pam, you can hear another tape cut. The reason is Her Majesty initially sat between those two songs in the medley. And then they decided to cut it and put it at the end of the record. And so it was an original part of the medley and they ended up putting it at the end of the of the record. And and I think you can you can hear both those. I believe you can hear the last note of Mean Mr. Mustard in the first no, to Polythene Pam, like coming in and out of that too. And why that was interesting is because I come up with really bad music puns for the name of the last show. And suggested that <laughs> yeah. Polythene Tam should be the name of that. Oh, yeah. 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 And then I decided that we are going to only explain MLS roster rules uh, using Beatles songs as metaphors from now on. Right. Which seems like a lot of work and probably something we won't actually do. And with that, let's bring on Chris Wellhausen, <laughs> soccer analyst. And uh, I know it's the first time you've been on this version of our podcast, I believe. Oh, he yeah. did. Uh, he did the um, the expansion draft preview with us. Yeah, but this wasn't right. the Moon Tower Soccer podcast then. Oh, That's you're right. Yeah, that was Cap, Cap City. City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't even keep up anymore. Any hot Beatles takes, Chris? Oof. Uh, only that I prefer Paul, which I feel like is a hot take just because everyone's like, oh, Paul's the lame one to pick. He's obviously the best, but he's obviously the best. <laughs> he's by far the most musically talented for sure, I think. He's like the most suave dude maybe to ever live. It like freaks me out at points. Paul kind of annoys me on his own. I think the Beatles are better Here we together. Go. Yeah, okay. Okay, let's stop. Nobody wants to listen to this. People have already hot takes on everything. (laughs) Okay. Let's talk about the MLS season. Uh I think that's why people turn this show on, or maybe I don't know. Um, so we got some news, some some updates about uh Austin FC's preseason today. So MLS in general, uh are letting players start to do drills on March 1st and then group training starting on March 8th after uh, seven-day quarantine. Most of Austin FC players are already in town and are already training, so I don't think that's as much of a deal. But we did get some other information about uh, the squad that is training right now. So um, we have 21 rostered players uh, training and then two unsigned draft picks and three training camp attendees, so kind of special guests who are reporting for the six-week preseason training camp. And so those two unsigned players are Aiden Stanley, 
and Daniel Steedman, who were chosen in the Super Draft. Then the three trialists are Will Pulisic, Christian Pulisic's cousin, who uh, was playing at Duke University, the defender Samuel Rogers from Tacoma Defiance, and then Luis Argudo, who was most recently playing for Inter-Miami. So um, did I miss anything? I guess that's all the players we know of right there, isn't it? Right, that's everybody. And I'm sure you downloaded a Scout uh, video on all three of the invitees and are ready to like do a deep dive into each of them. I refuse. I did not. I refuse to believe all of us aren't staying up into the wee hours of the night watching Will Pulisic highlights. <laughs> that's that's the one I the most don't get because we already have, what, four keepers? I mean, do we need a yeah. fifth to hang out? So that's, that's some other news that came out recently is that Noah Lawrence, uh, who is... I believe the last super draft pick that Austin FC made, he's actually going to go back and finish out the college season. And they said that he could be coming back to Austin later in the season, but I don't really know uh, what that means, but giving some more context to the two super draft picks, um, the only players who are guaranteed contracts in the super draft are the generation Adidas players. And so Daniel Pereira, he was guaranteed a contract Freddie Kleeman just recently signed his contract, I believe last week or two weeks ago. Um, all of the other draft picks are not guaranteed a contract. It's essentially a tryout. They're given the right to a tryout with that team. So that's why you see Aiden Stanley and Daniel Steedman um, listed as more or less trialists uh, for for these these training times. They've also both played with USL teams in the past. So I think there's a decent chance maybe they get signed and then loaned back out to those teams. Maybe they don't get signed at all. I don't know. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. But then, yeah, the the keeper thing is interesting because we have three keepers on the roster who are all signed to contracts already, including um, Brady Scott, the, the youngest of the three. And then they bring in Will Pulisic for this trial. So I'm just – you'd have to think that they're just kind of seeing what's out there, getting some more options in case – they decide to loan somebody or one, one person doesn't work out. I don't know. What do y'all think about that? I think that there's one thing I know about Josh Wolf and it's that he likes a winger and he likes a goalkeeper and everyone else <laughs> is just there to fill space. <laughs> well, and he likes a wolf too. Wasn't there some rumor that there might be, that was for the Academy, right? Another wolf child coming to town mm-hmm. and, 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 and signing with us. We get a pub. Yeah. One that I, one that I didn't know existed. The, the middle wolf child. Um, but yeah, so another, another bit of news that came out with this is, uh, preseason scrimmages that are going to be happening most likely entirely behind closed doors. So I don't know that we'll get to see any of this, but it's going to be March 19th versus, uh, Oklahoma city energy. And then March 25th against Louisville city FC. And those are both going to be at St. Edwards university fans and media are not allowed to attend. Although, St. Ed's is not a very well protected or well guarded place. And so, and it's on public streets. And so I'm curious as to how much security they're going to have for those games and how difficult it would be for a stray fan to wander next to the well, pitch. They're, but they're probably going to up the security now that you just said that. <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> like, let's do it. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. Um, and then also, there's going to be three additional preseason matches. I believe Chris Bills wrote a story on this and um, was kind of speculating that, and probably with good, with good reason that two of those games are going to be against FC Dallas and Houston Dynamo, just because we've already heard 
Claudio Arena mentioned that we've heard like little hints here and there that they're going to be playing the other Texas teams. So I think that all that that makes perfect sense there. Um, is there anything else that you guys are expecting or hoping to see out of the preseason stuff? I'm I'm hoping to actually sneak onto the hill outside the stadium and see some preseason stuff. So I'm excited about that potential. And what was it? <laughs> We talked about last week at an undisclosed location, which I feel like is now clearly disclosed. They've talked about it being there. A very disclosed location. Um, So we know who most of the players are going to be. There's still a few holes to fill, but we know who most of them are going to be. We know when the season's going to start, which is April 17th. But what about the schedule? When are we going to get that schedule? Yeah, we don't know that, right? Stephen Goff tweeted that they're still working on that. Obviously, pandemic sort of makes everything a mess. Um, and then the Canadian, uh, what are the, I mean, quotes here, the, in quotes, the Canadian home matches, you know, maybe tough. And we've seen a lot of effects out of that. And, you know, I think on Friday on allocation disorder, um, Sam and Paul talked about, I think they talked about Toronto and Toronto's like looking to stay at home. Is that right? Uh, for preseason. They're going to stay home in preseason. Right. But then once the season starts, they're going to have to come into the U.S. somewhere. I don't think they've announced where that's going to be yet. And is that who they were talking about? I think they were talking about them maybe playing in Florida. Um, like in Orlando, maybe. But yeah, I mean, who knows? That makes that makes the announcement of the schedule difficult. So we're probably not going to see it until maybe two or three weeks before it comes out. Um, which makes planning that first away road trip that I think we all want to take probably very complicated. Yeah, and St- Stephen Goff points out in that same tweet that just for context, the NBA announced their schedule 18 days before it started and NHL announced the full schedule three weeks before their opener. So it might be cutting it pretty close, but it's kind of understandable given the circumstances. I'm curious, do you guys have like a dream first away game? Like do you want a specific matchup in your opener? I hope honestly hope it's a boring one because we're probably not going to get to go to it. <laughs> get out of here. What's the most boring away game that could happen? New England Revolution. I want them to play the New England Revolution. I always no, pick no. on the Revs for some reason. Why do I always do that? <laughs> they deserve Boston's to be a great town. On. Boston's a great town. You want it to be uh, Real Salt Lake. If we're thinking about like the most boring away place that you wouldn't miss not being able to go to. <laughs> um, Throwing some shade at Salt Lake there, Jeremiah. Jeez. Yeah, I want to. I've been there. I've been there. <laughs> I want to play a boring the weird beer rules. I want to play a boring team too, but one that I enjoy beating. So like, give us Houston immediately, you know, give me that boring city straight out the gate and let me begin my journey with Austin FC soaking up our victory over them. You know, that's what I want. (laughs) All right. Well, the man at the helm of this team going into that season is going to be Josh Wolf. So Andrew Wiebe um, wrote an article for MLSsoccer.com recently um, going over the the seven new coaches in the league and kind of listing out what the expectations were, where the pressure was coming from. And uh, we kind of thought that was an interesting thing to talk about. So what are the the expectations for Josh Wolf in this first season? This is this is where we turn Wellhouse on and wind him up. Wait, wind him, <laughs> wind him up and let him go. Do you have an opinion on this issue? I have an opinion on everything, Jeremiah. Um well, I mean, I think it's really tough when you talk about expectations because, first of all, if you follow the league, you know most teams really don't have a lot of pressure with their coaches. I think it's why everybody's so taken back when Atlanta fires someone like Frank DeBoer so quickly because it's kind of setting a pretty elite tone 
that you don't often see in the league. Um, and especially for expansion teams, it's kind of all over the place. You know, I was looking into it uh, over the weekend and of the last eight expansion teams kind of in this modern era since 2015 of MLS, only three have made the playoff cut. Uh, I don't count Miami in that one because they were 10th out of 14th and they wouldn't normally make the cut. And I think they only made it last year because of the weird kind of pandemic rules we had. But, you know, you look at it, it's like of the three that made it, Atlanta was like fourth in the conference, I think. LAFC was third. And then everyone who did make it was like bottom of the table. You know, so it's a, there's no like obvious middle ground or expectation for expansion teams. And he's a fresh coach, so it's really hard to kind of nail that down. Um, but for me, it really, I think when I look at the roster that's been built and I look at the, how the team has approached all of this with so much intention and more importantly, how the community has backed this team, I think playoffs are the expectation. You know, I think it, we more than deserve it. I think a good coach takes the roster as is right now to the playoffs. Um, and so for me, that's kind of my expectation for him. Well, that's an interesting thing about the coach, and hopefully you've done this research because I did not, and I probably should have, but like, what's the combination of expansion team and brand-new coach their success? Like, I know Nashville, um, well, their coach, well, he'd already, he'd already been the coach before, but like, can you, is, is there a record of, uh, of somebody that's like first-time first head coach and leads a team to a successful result? So I don't think of the teams I looked at there was a first time head coach that I can think of off the top of my head. I'm not probably not in recent years. I don't think maybe in like an older MLS team, that would be true. But in recent teams, I think they were all fairly experienced. I'd be curious. I think Bob Bradley's first coaching gig was the Chicago fire team. That was the only expansion team to win the, tr- the title in their first year. But I wouldn't quote me on that. <laughs> even even then, it's his first professional gig. I think right. he had coached in college before that, right? Oh, I think you're right. So yeah, it's uh, that's an interesting point there. Um, I I think that I think the biggest thing that Austin FC can do, as far as like keeping the excitement alive, is making the stadium atmosphere a fun one and making it a fun experience. I've said this before on the show, but Austin is a city that's not, uh, not want for, for, um, they're, they're not lacking entertainment options, right? Like there are fun things to do in the city. And if you don't like this one thing that there is to do, there's lots of other things you can go do. And so I think the number one thing that the Austin FC front office should focus on is making it just a fun place to be and a fun a fun day to spend at that stadium. Um, as far as on the field expectations, I think Andrew Wiebe nailed it in the article. He said that um, what is a good season? And here's a quote from it. He said, Austin FC's expansion season will be a success if it ends with the club and the supporters believing that 2022 will be even better. I think that's perfectly said. Um, I think we need to show some, some progress during the season. Uh, get a little bit better, make the playoffs. Um, and I think there's a way you can like sneak into the playoffs like Miami did. I think if we have a, a season like Miami did, I don't, I don't know that that's going to be considered a success, but a season like 
Nashville did, I think that would be a pretty good one because I don't think anybody in Nashville ended last season thinking that 2021 wasn't going to be better than, than 2020. Yeah, you know, I agree too with what Weeby said in that article, but my one counterpoint would be, I think if you asked Cincinnati fans if they felt after the end of that first season, the next year would be better, they'd probably say yes because it was total trash. So <laughs> not universally agreeing here, I think, but in the ethos of if we believe the team is heading in a good direction and we support it and feel good about it, yeah, I think it's it's a, a good enough start to, to keep him in his job. All right, well... well- I have oh, a question. I was gonna say, I have a question, kind of about. So, okay, so that's year one, but like, how long is the leash? I mean, this as somebody who went to UT, I always think about like the UT football coach is constantly under pressure, and like the basketball coach. I mean, win more games than you lose, and it's fine. You can coach forever. So, I, I want to know, like, where do you feel like that balance is among your your average Austin FC fan on drive for success versus like let's just have a good time and who cares. Well, this is the really interesting kind of conversation within it, right? And it's why I kind of referenced Atlanta earlier, is really it's up to us as the fans to determine what the expectation is. You know, the Reyna and, and pre-court maybe looking at him and saying, hey, man, if we get close to the playoffs and, you know, the team's looking promising and we believe next season's going to be good, then you're good. And that's what he voices expectation. But if he gets three games in and loses those three and the crowd is – angry (laughs) you know the leash changes we we collectively determine as this brand new fan base what we expect from our team and our coach and what we want the ethos of this team to be you know Atlanta it's really clear if you're not winning if you're not at the top if you're not breaking down barriers for this league then it's not enough and the same thing LAFC you think if they made the playoffs playing like Nashville did they'd be satisfied after what they've seen hell no they want to see like attractive entertaining big explosive football and I think that we kind of, I'm, I don't know if I know the answer I'm curious to see how it unfolds over the season but that's the thing I think fans need to stop and realize it's like it's we're in this rush right now of oh it's so new and it's so exciting and we're just eager to see that first ball kicked in the first game but it's up to us to say if we want Austin to be the team in this league and we want to be the fan base that elevates them to that and sets that expectation or if we just you know want to see a team that's fun to watch and we're just here for the ride. You know, I think collectively we, we need to start asking ourselves like what we really expect because the, the fairy tale and the honeymoon phase of just being excited about the team coming and, and starting is, is going to end pretty much the second that ball is kicked because then it's real. And then our city is being represented on this national and on some perspective global stage, right? So I'm really curious to see how, how patient fans are. You know, if we lose three games in a row, do people start getting pissed off? Do they start vocalizing yeah, that? Like, what happens? Say that, that honeymoon feeling is going to dissipate a lot faster if we're losing games every week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the one other thing I'd add, too, is I think there's been this general discussion around the team within the city of, you know, you just saw the other day, we broke this record of 10,000 season ticket waiting lists, which is amazing. And I think most people are looking at how it's done as far as ticket sales and, and general re- receptiveness around the community and saying, this is a knockout of the park, home run success. Personally, I think we're limiting what we think this could be. You know, I'm, I'm biased. I'm born and raised in this city. I love this city. I think it's the best city in the world. But I really think people don't stop and look like, this is a city with no major sports to compete with. The 11th most populous city in the country 
a counterculture that we've seen except soccer like in Portland and LA, there's no reason to look at this and say this couldn't be as big as LAFC or Atlanta if we wanted to be, right? And so I'm, I'm curious to see as it unfolds what people think, but especially when we're talking about expectations, you know, if he doesn't make the playoffs, but it's fun to watch, maybe we still have support next year. But if he comes out and makes it like a deep run in the playoffs, think about how much bigger it could be because you get those fringe fans that are saying like, that was amazing. Like, I want to see more of that. And suddenly you've got a 20,000 season ticket waiting list. And we're talking about having to build like a 30, 35,000 seat stadium sooner than later, you know? So I'm just curious what the expectation unfolds to be. But I think too, that when we talk about it, like it's been successful so far, but we may be just scratching the tip of the iceberg here because Austin really is this sleeping giant to me of a market for MLS and for soccer that we may not know how big it really could be until it starts to play and how well they do. Before we move on to the next point, just real quickly, how do you, what do you guys feel about Josh Wolf's chances of being a successful head coach and a good head coach? I mean, I feel like he's, he's checked all the boxes, right? I mean, every, you couldn't have a better background to be ready to be the head coach for the first time of an expansion team. And I, you know, I feel like this is a little bit of one of these things that we may miss out on because of COVID, because it's, it's hard to know right now, right? Like, He's very good about not giving it an answer <laughs> on press conferences on Zoom. You know, we can't, you know, we're not going to really get out and see a lot of them in practice. You know, it's like, I feel like a lot of this is so much of an unknown now that I don't have a strong opinion. But I mean, all the, he's got all the pedig pedigree he would need. It's just, how does he bomb the players and how does he motivate the players? I don't have a really good feel about that. I think, I mean, I think he has like a two-year window. Like, I feel like whatever happens this year, as long as it's not Cincinnati, it's like, it's going to be okay. And there's still going to be excitement and we can be like, Oh, you know, it's expansion team COVID's a mess and whatever. But I feel like 2022 is really going to be the, we're building on a thing and it's going to be great. Or like the it's, we're heading toward a mess and it's time to start thinking about something else here for me. Yeah. You know, I think, I think he's going to do well. And it's really for two reasons for me. One is when you hear players talk about him, as an assistant coach, the common theme is he relays information really clearly and he's a really easy guy to connect to, which indicates he's a good man manager. And I think the further we get into the modern game, the more that becomes like a necessity is you have to be able to manage the individual and pull the most out of them. But the second reason is uh, the arguably the best thing this team's done is that they got the staff nailed down early, like way in advance of what most teams do. You know, look at Miami. They had a great coach. You can look at his resume. He was a good coach, and he failed because they were disjointed at how came they built in, that out. He came in so late. Six weeks before the season started or something like that. Right. So, like, his ideas weren't ready for him to implement the second he was there. He didn't build that roster. But Wolf was here before any player, you know, and he was here with Reyna getting eye-to-eye -eye months in advance. Here before Reyna, too. Right. So, you know, <laughs> the fact that they've had this clear vision and identity and time to, like, build that up and then execute it without having to rush anything or, you know, Oh, well we had to sign, you know, Carlos Vela. So make him work in your system. It's like, no, everybody's been bought for him and his system. I think, I think between those two things, yeah, I expect him to be good. Yeah. I completely agree to, to Jeremiah's point. I think he's the pedigree working beside Burhalter for all those years mm -hmm. when Burhalter was not only the head coach, but the general manager of that team. And so knows how to put together a roster 
Um, to Chris's point, knows how to motivate players, knows how to teach players, knows how to communicate and build those relationships. I think the the thing that could be his downfall is being too much of a romantic. I think we've seen that at times with Burhalter with the national team, kind of holding on to those ideals a little too long whenever they're not working in certain moments. I think that could be a thing that brings him down because he's never been the one in charge before. But uh, I think in the long run, even if he has some some hiccups in this first season, I have a lot of faith that he's going to be a really good coach in this league and then potentially in other places further on. But yeah, I, I think he's going to be really good. Um, I'm really curious before we move on. Jeremiah, you said, I think it's got like a two season window to be successful. What does that look like for you? If he doesn't make the playoffs in two seasons, do you think he stays? Like what if he's the spot below both seasons in a row? Do you want him out? Do you want him in for a third season? Do I? I mean, okay, if we barely miss the playoffs two years in a row, like, we can have, like, there's there's another year or two there, you know? But I feel like that's when the pressure starts. Maybe that's more that. Not that not that if he, if we have two bad years, he's gone. But I feel like that's when you start really leading into, like, is this the guy? Did we have the right build? I think it's, that's when you really get into a position where, you know, he's, there's, he's on the hot seat at that point. Interesting. Landon, how would you feel about uh, that? Uh, no, I, I kind of agree. I think I, there's, I was going to say there's, there's different ways to not make the playoffs, but there's really not in MLS recently. Like if you don't make the playoffs, you're a very bad team. And so, yeah, I would see no playoffs in two years. I don't, I think it would have to be pretty disastrous for him to be gone in two seasons. But, um, if it continued into that third one, you might see him pull that pull that chain pretty early on in that third season. But again, I don't think any of that's going to happen. I think he's going to, I think he's going to be good. Let's hope so. So on a last week's show, um, we mentioned that we would like to see Austin FC strengthen a little bit on the back line. And I specifically mentioned left back thinking like if Ben Sweat is, is your backup left back, that's pretty good. Right. A couple of days later, we start seeing rumors for a Slovenian left back named Jean Kolmanich. Uh, he is a 20-year-old left-back for Maribor, which is seems to be the top team in the Slovenian league and then uh, also plays for the U21 Slovenian national team. So um, any any opinions on this? Well, should again, we, should... we, we probably didn't watch a lot of video on him, um, so we don't <laughs> know a lot about him. I think we can I... only talk about him in theory and, like, Twitter opinions. But did you... Did you look I watched, at some Landon? Yeah, okay. I did watch some video. So let's let's do that first. We'll talk about what kind of player he is, and then we can decide if he's actually going to fit into the roster or not. But um, he's a pretty dangerous crosser with his he's left footed, really dangerous crosser. Um, he's comfortable with the ball, doesn't mind dribbling in and out or pushing up into space. Um, I watched also his defending. He's actually quite good whenever he's in proactive defending situations, such as like counter-pressing, you lose the ball and he pushes up and has to, has to kind of win it back. He's quite good in those, those scenarios. Uh, and then I watched a sequence that was just one-on-one defending. That's where he's very uncomfortable is in those moments when he's got his back to goal and he's one-on-one with a winger that's trying to dribble past him. He looks very awkward and very uncomfortable in those situations. And so... Um, I think if we're going to go all chaos, heavy metal soccer and just attack, 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 I think he would be a fun player to put in and, and see, see move that ball forward. But 
if we want to actually have a, a solid back line, I don't know that he's going to be the guy to do that. I mean, he is still very young, though. He's 20 years old. You can teach that a little bit, right? You can you can get better at defending. You can't teach that cross. Like That's something that he's he's very good at and I think will be pretty dangerous in this league. So one of the questions as far as how he's going to fit into the roster is whether or not he would be fill, fill that young money slot, that U22 initiative, um, which at first glance, I thought that was a no-brainer, right? Like he's under 20. He's going to be, I think it was rumored 1.8 million. Is that what the the transfer fee was? So right. um, if he's young money, that transfer fee doesn't factor into his cap hit. And then depending on what the rules end up being, $150 or $150,000 or $200,000 is going to be his cap hit, which is amazing for a player that expensive. Um, but reading Sam Stayskull's piece in The uh, Athletic lined out this this one rule in, in the U22 initiative that made me think, well, maybe we can't sign him. So the rule is that if you have three designated players that are over to the age of 23 and are not eligible to be bought down below the DP threshold with TAM, um, then you can only get one young money signing. And so we already have one, right? We have Rodney Reddes. That was mm-hmm. confirmed by Anthony Precourt. Um, the way you can get more young money signings is if one of your DPs is either under 23 or if one of your DPs is eligible to be bought down with Tam. And so I was like, I don't know. We we have two DPs, right? So that's one complication in it. If you only have two DPs, can you sign another another young money guy just because you don't have that third DP? And then I also started looking into our two DPs now, um, Cecilio and Pochettino. Um, I, and looking at their salaries, I don't know what their salaries are, but looking at kind of comparable players who have come into the league in the last few years, I'm going to guess both of them are making around a million dollars. Um, and then looking at those transfer fees, I think it's realistic that they, one or both of those players could potentially be bought down with Tim. Um, I don't know that we will do that, but I think it's realistic to think they would, which makes me think that we could use a young money slot on Kolmanich. Well, I want to start by talking about why that rule is dumb before we talk about why we're the player. <laughs> it's a good idea or not. And, and it's specifically, it's the example I heard was about Toronto. So Toronto's got two DPs neither of which can be bought down. They're looking at a third. And basically, if they sign the player that can bring them maximum value, he's not going to be able to to be bought down, which means they can only sign one young money player. But if they find like a younger, less predictable, you know, lesser player for that spot, then that frees them up for three young money signings. So basically like, oh, I can get a guy that's like awesome and great and helps me. Or I can get a guy that can't, and if I get the guy that can't, I get two extra signings. Like it's counterintuitive to like what you know to like trying to build a successful team. So that was like a disappointing thing to f- really like think through about that rule. Um, I mean, we're probably in pretty good, we're in better shape than most might be about that. But that's just I feel like it's not a very well conceived rule because it doesn't really reward the teams that want to like build the best roster. Yeah, I don't really understand why you're going to tie a team's hands like that. Like why not let them do both? Right. Like I, I think maybe the, because the, the young money thing, you can extend those like that roster hit until they're 25. And so 
I maybe the the logic is that you'll end up with four DPs on the team. I say good. Like if you if you can sign a player that young and and he hits, then good. You you deserve to have four really good players. But I don't know. Well, it makes no sense too because just getting on the this is dumb MLS train um, is that it's basically like saying like they they announced publicly they want to be a selling league a year or two ago right and so this seemed like the obvious outcome of that of let's make this new initiative for you to buy talented young players so you can sell them for more money boom selling league great but it doesn't make sense to be look at a team and say you either can pick being a title contender and getting three strong in their prime dps like seattle and toronto have proven is a winning method or you can be a youthful team that develops and sells and maybe isn't as competitive. You know, I think that's something we forget a lot as fans is like this wave of youth trust is great, but it hasn't really proven to provide a title for almost anyone yet. You know, all the title winners have in their prime DPs that are carrying them there. Um, and so it just is so backwards to me to say you either, you have to choose a lane when the, when you should yeah. really be saying, Hey, if you're LAFC, or if, if you're Seattle, you can still invest in young players and sell them on, but you can still be this title contending team with your Rui Diaz and your Ladero and, you know, whomever you, that third spot is like, uh, Paolo, Joe Paolo, I think his name is. So like, it just is so backwards to me. It's like, they're forever trying to provide new solutions, but without eliminating parity for the investors that don't want to, you know, just get called out and be at the bottom of the league. And it just is so backwards to me. Yeah. So I know you guys haven't seen much of this player, but just kind of what we've seen of what we've heard about what he is in the little bit that I just explained. Do you think that Austin FC could use a guy like that in the roster? Let me take a drink first before I answer that. (laughs) Um, I think in the generality of it's good to have a young, well, I'll even give him promising, even though I don't know if he's proven to be promising. A young, promising left back is a nice thing to have on your team. I have, I really don't get the signing. You know, I look at our team, center back seems like a much bigger need, even though Wolf has now said he's not planning to get a center back. I feel like we've got Ben Sweat as a starting caliber center back in this league. I agree with you, Landon. It's awesome if he's left a back. Or left back. Sorry. He's an awesome person if he's your bench player, but... I think we've got a good bench left back in, in Jimenez as well. So I'm looking at that and thinking, why do we need a third one? And why would that be the position you use your young money on? You know, Atlanta just went and signed a, a, a rotational player from River Plate in Argentina who's going to be a walk-on starter for them as a defensive midfielder, which is arguably a much more impactful position unless your game for Wolf just revolves around the left back. And so I really don't get it. I hope he proves me wrong and I sound like an idiot and people like play this soundbite <laughs> six months from now when he's like leading the league and in, in assists from, from the wing or from the you know, left back role. But I really, it just, it makes no sense to use such a valuable potential roster spot on a position that really has a, even at its best, a lesser impact than others. And especially on a guy that like, none of us know about when we follow this game so close you know like (laughs) no one's heard about this kid and i and even after reports are coming out i haven't seen anyone that's like he's he's amazing he really this makes total sense you know the one thing i have heard is it's because he plays in slovenia who's watching the slovenian league well in that same breath why are our scouts watching the slovenian league you know (laughs) we could go bigger than that i think and i i hope he's good if we end up getting him but it 
for a lot of reasons, doesn't make a ton of sense to me. I mean, okay. uh, yeah, I, I'm going to disagree with you there. I, I honestly, th I, I like that. I would like this because if you look at like where we could use another young money spot at like center back, I know that a lot of people have doubts about center back. I'm a little bit more confident with our center, center back options than a lot of Austin FC fans are right now. I don't know that we're going to have an amazing center back pairing, but I think we have three solid options to rotate in and out. And then if Freddie Kleeman hits then even better, um, then right back, Nick Lima's one of the better right backs in this league. Mm -hmm. So I think we're fine just having a sub there. We don't really have that person right now. Um, Jimenez can, can play on the right, but I think we do need a backup, but I don't think we necessarily need to find someone who's going to push Lima. Lima's the starter. Like he, you can't do much better than Lima in this league. So just get like a solid backup there. Ben Sweat is decent. He's a decent left back, a decent MLS player. Um, he's been better than decent at times, but I think over his career, he, I think that's kind of his level. And so if you can bring in this young guy who will push him and maybe like brings a different profile than what Ben Sweat is. Uh, ben Sweat is a much stronger defender than what than what Kolmanich is from what, what little film that I saw. And so games where you need to defend, you, you're going to be bunkered down a little bit more. Play sweat. If uh, you're trailing late in a game, sub in Kolmanich, get a more attacking player on there. I kind of like having those two options there. And then, yeah, I just don't really know where else on the team you could get someone of that profile that we're not already too deep in or have too many players on the roster there. I'm going to I'm gonna add one deep cut thing for why I think it could be a good move. And that's because Memo Yunko, who's our head scout, was Rafael Benitez's like Eastern European scout for Liverpool for 25 to 2013. So if anybody knows that league who's in MLS and like the potential talent in that, I feel like it's our Polish based head of scouting who also scouted Eastern Europe for Premier League club. Wait, when did you say he was scouting for him? What years? Oh, 05 to Oh, five to 13. So people, seven years ago, this kid was 13. You think he was top I'm just of saying, his the radar? Guy, the guy, I'm just saying, but he's, he's in Poland now. So the guy's like still, look, the guy's still connected to Eastern Europe. Even I can get behind if you like reasoning with the position of left back, but I just, the whole, the, the details of this rule is like, you can spend whatever you want. You can go buy a $15 million player and have him, as an under 20 young money player on your roster and it won't count against you. So why are we going to spend 1.8 million on a guy? No one knows about there. No, there is a limit there though. It's about their salary. And so they can't make above DP level right. salary, but even, and so that limits, that limits you a little bit there, but even still, you could absolutely get a guy from Argentina who typically they don't make huge salaries unless you're like the marquee player who's probably got more experience is more promising could be the same age in the same position. You know, like I just, that's what I don't understand. It's like why we're scouting there and why him? Cause I just haven't seen anything that since the report started that we're like, this guy is the next, you know, big deal in Europe. Like I, I just don't the next, get it. The next Martin Skirtle. He's the next Martin Skirtle. <laughs> so I'm saying right now here. Look, I, I hope right. he's good. I just, it, there's a lot of question marks around it. And I think our roster is at a point that I want more, that's a no-brainer. That's a good signing, and it just doesn't feel like that to me. Jeremiah, how are we doing on time here? 
way over. Okay. Well, <laughs> we're going to skip all the other points we had. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to be back with our interview with John Arnold. John is uh, writes about FC Dallas for the Striker Texas. We thought it'd be fun to do a little bit of a preview about some of the the our new Texas rivals. And so John's going to give us a little bit of history of FC Dallas and then uh, give us let us know what to expect for this new season. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. So I was on the FVF Law website earlier today and I noticed one thing that both uh, Aaron and Josh have in common is they both went to the school at the University of Texas and law school at Baylor. So I appreciate that they share like a lot of Central Texas connections. And I think it probably maybe explains how they know each other. So just way to go, guys. Keep that up. <laughs> they both had a bunch of like credentials and stuff, you know, behind their names about super this and amazing that, whatever. So apparently... You know, partners are really good at being lawyers and also really connected to like the Big 12. Yeah, lots of Big 12 references in in this episode, as you'll hear in the interview in a second. But all right, uh, you can go to FVF.law to find out more about what makes FVF different and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FVF.law. Our guest today is John Arnold, who writes about FC Dallas for the Striker Texas. He also freelances for some other publications and uh, maintains a CONCACAF newsletter, which you can find wherever you get your CONCACAF newsletters. Uh, he's also a former writer for the Texas Tech Daily Toreador, which would have been, I'm sure I read one of your articles while I was at Texas Tech at some point, but yeah. yeah. I had the uh, I had some sports stuff and then like some like very lukewarm opinions because we just needed someone to fill the opinion section sometimes. And I, I've changed <laughs> a lot as a person now. I'm glad like I didn't write anything objectionable, but like I don't I definitely don't back any. If you dig up the columns, please don't, first of all. But I, I don't I don't necessarily <laughs> stand by them. We've all changed as people since college. So, uh, <laughs> yes, I that that is me. I, I'm a proud Red writer still. That hasn't changed. And I am a sicko who maintains a CONCACAF newsletter. So that's me. All right. Um, so we have, we're having you on because FC Dallas is going to be one of our new MLS in-state rivals. And so we thought it'd be uh, a good idea to kind of give an overview of what FC Dallas looks like. So to start off with, can you just give us a brief history of, of FC Dallas? Yeah, absolutely. It's an original MLS club. Uh, started in, in the 1996 season as the Dallas Burn. Was the Dallas Burn for a long time before rebranding as FC Dallas, which you kind of really can see still today. They haven't really done that much with the brand, quote unquote, since that move up to Frisco, the opening of now Toyota Stadium, then Pizza Park, and, and going to FC Dallas. Uh, that That's kind of, I guess the marketing story has stayed kind of the same which is a theme I'm sure we'll touch on here in a few moments as well. Um, but on the field, the club has been okay. I, I would say like in some ways better than you give it credit for and in some ways worse, right? They've won basically three trophies, two U.S. Open Cups, 
and a supporter shield that never won MLS cup, despite being in the league for a really long time, despite having really good teams and making good playoff runs. Uh, you know, it's, it just hasn't come together for them, even when they've had good teams. Uh, I think, you know, we might talk about like the, the trophy winning year of uh, the U S open cup supporter shield that year, Mauro Diaz, who was their big star player in 2016, uh, did his Achilles I think the penultimate game of the season, the next last game. And so wasn't available for the playoffs. I do always wonder if he had stayed healthy, would they have been able to lift MLS cup and have this historic season played really well the next year in CONCACAF champions league as well. So you definitely think that there could have been something there, but as far as, you know, their, their greatest moments, uh, those are it, you know, two U S open cups and a supporter shield. So that, that's kind of what you're looking at. Uh, you know, some, some, uh, historic players, as I mentioned, Mauro Diaz kind of, I think one FC Dallas, their two most significant trophies in the modern era. You know, you look at how the league and the, the U S soccer landscape changed since they won the open cup in the late nineties. Uh, to me, those are more impressive trophies. Um, and then like a guy like Jason Christ, who's the all-time leading scorer, Matt Hedges, who's uh, still a rock at the back for FC Dallas and maybe one of the rare one club men in uh, in American soccer and in world soccer these days where you see so many different moves and transactions. I think it could happen for him. We'll see. David How Ferreira. How old is he now? He is 29, I believe. He'll okay. be 30 this year. Uh, I think he's just a year or two behind me. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you could see him playing three more years in Dallas. I mean, you could also see him doing like an MLS free agency thing, but so far they haven't seen any reason to, to cut him loose. So. A map. Yeah, I would say. I was gonna say a Matt, a Matt Beazer style move is maybe is possible at some point. Maybe he'll be St. Louis's uh, first first year player. Yeah, I was gonna say not not to Sacramento anymore. It doesn't seem, but uh, but yeah. yeah, you could you could see something like that happening. But he's been around for a really long time. And then uh, David Ferreira, the club's only MVP. So th- those I think are the kind of you know stand posts and and Saints. You know, there's Bobby Ryan as well. Uh, the late Bobby Ryan's tragically passed. Uh, it was kind of a one of those players who just like wore his or the heart of the club on his sleeve and really kind of represented what the club was about. He got into broadcasting after and then passed away suddenly and tragically several years ago now. Um, and so he's still, you know, a, a beloved figure around the club. And then Oscar Pereja, even though he's coaching another MLS team now, played with FC Dallas, started kind of started the academy success that they're so known for now and then uh, managed them for a really long time and was the manager for those trophy winning seasons that I mentioned in 2016. So I think that's kind of your not your Mount Rushmore. It's not sports talk radio top four, but those are your kind of uh, big characters, I guess, of, of the FC Dallas universe. Coming into kind of the more, more modern days of FC Dallas, what is the club known for within, I guess, kind of the realm of MLS among the league? Like what are they known for? I think you could sum it up with simply the word Academy, right? This is a team that produces players and you look at their list, you know, the, the list I just named of kind of club greats is probably shorter than the list of really good talents that have come up through the FC Dallas Academy, but didn't really make a mark with FC Dallas because they were sold so young. And some of them are still in formation, right? Brian Reynolds was just sold this winter. He played basically half a season with FC Dallas in 2020. He was really good. He sold for a club record fee. He's on to Roma. See you later, buddy. And that's kind of how this club is designed to run in a lot of ways. You look at Reg Cannon who Reynolds replaced as the right back. He was sold just a few months earlier, you know, sold during the summer to Boa Vista in Portugal. Uh, Weston McKinney was not sold. He came up through the academy, didn't sign a homegrown contract and left when he was 18, went to the Bundesliga with Schalke, now is playing 
next to Cristiano Ronaldo, it's still kind of crazy, next to one of the greatest players <laughs> of all time, pretty much every weekend at Juventus and other really fantastic players as well. Like he always is like, I don't know, I'd love to do a story and I don't know if I'll ever be able to chat with him one on one. But, you know, like him, him and, and uh, Chiellini seem to be celebrating together a lot. And I'm like, are those guys like buds? Like, is that like kind of the locker room connection somehow for some reason? I don't know. But anyway, you, you that's, that's the next that, that everyone loves Weston over there. Yeah, he definitely seems, and I, I will be doing a story on him that you can look out for on the Striker Texas here in the next week, two weeks, uh, about sort of how he came up. So uh, hopefully we'll be able to shed some light on that. Like I said, I'm not sure I'll be able to get him, but uh, he's a pretty, seems to be a pretty charismatic guy. So, you know, another great product. So I really think that when you're talking about FC Dallas, their calling card is the academy, which that's something that they want, right? That's something that they've done by design. They were one of the first clubs to buy into kind of the academy setup and one of the first clubs, I think, to understand, hey, like this could be monetized. Like we could really make a good bit of money or at least fund the club almost by itself on these player sales. But at the same time, that also, I think, leads to some of the, the lack of trophies that, that we're kind of mentioning, right? This is a the club that's founded in 96 and has three trophies, right? So uh, I think that certainly they're known for their academy products and after that what are they known for being s- sort of good like they're, they're not the best team in the league they never <laughs> have been but they're never the worst team in the league either right yeah that's 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 a good point we i'm curious like how long have you been covering the club how much of this journey have you been around for yeah I, it's kind of funny i mean i guess i'll kind of mm-hmm. almost uh, come out uh, on this show a little bit as a former supporter i don't really love talking about it because you know i think it's easy to toss like uh, bias accusations at journalists but i do think my writing about fc dallas has been critical enough that that people can tell i'm not still kind of waving the flag for the club but i'm from here i'm from fort worth so uh moved down here in 2001 uh and and was into soccer to an extent and then after the um Oh, six World Cup, I started really being like, oh, these guys do something other than just show up every four years and play World Cup matches. And I'd already watched like Liga Mekis and then called the Primera and, and the kind of like different leagues. But I got into FC Dallas at that time. And when I got my driver's license, started driving out to Frisco and, and running up crazy toll bills that I didn't understand that I had to pay. And my dad getting <laughs> mad because I had to figure out how the heck I was going to, you know, pay the, the toll tag or whatever it is that, uh, that they make you do if you run up too many tolls. But uh, yeah, that was me. So I, I was in some of the supporters groups back then at the time as obviously a teenager, I wasn't like drinking and, and causing mayhem, but, uh, but you know, I, I, w- I would, I would hang out with the Inferno uh, back in the day. That was a supporters group that now I think it's totally defunct, but a lot of former members are still kind of in the community. So I've been around the FC Dallas scene for a long time, then kind of came back in uh, 2014, I guess, before I moved to Mexico I was already working at Goal, uh, which is where I spent most of the, my professional career, at least the last uh, five, six years. And so I went to the games as a journalist then and started to cover the team professionally. Then I was in Mexico for a little over a year, or I guess about right about a year, and then uh, came back and started writing about FC Dallas for the Dallas Morning News, 2016 through 2020. So a long-winded answer to say I've been around this team and watching this team for a really long time, and in a professional capacity, I guess, five, six, seven years. What's good that you've got a lot of that so you, you definitely know the know the stories and you know know the background and have, have been around for, for a lot of it then, even if not back to the cotton bowl days, but you know, darn near, right? Yeah, well I'm not I'm not quite old enough to have uh, have made those forays. I do remember I'm one of the few people I think that kind of 
converted a bit during the South Lake uh, time because they had this weird sort of stopover where they were like, well, we're not going to play the Cotton Bowl anymore. We're not going to keep paying this rent. We're not going to keep playing here. Where the heck are we going to go before our stadium's ready? And th- they ended up in South Lake, which is like a very Tony rich suburb kind of near the airport north of Fort Worth, kind of between Fort Worth and Dallas. So I, I lived, I'm from Fort Worth, but like went to Keller schools. I'm kind of in that zone. Uh, so Southwick was a quick trip. So I was kind of like, Oh, great. The professional team's moving close to me. It was a disaster for everyone else. But for me, I was like, nice. It worked out. So, Good. Yeah. Good. <laughs> well, so let's talk about 2020, um, kind of how it went last season, both in terms of, uh, MLS is back and the weirdest season of all time. And I believe either Landon or Phil picked Dallas to make the final, which may have turned out to be wrong on our, on our playoff projection show. But, uh, yeah. And for MLS is back? No, no, for the, for for the, the regular the playoffs. playoffs. That must have been Phil. I didn't do All that. Right. It's Phil West's fault then, John. But like, talk to us about <laughs> 2020. What, what was good and what was bad? Well, MLS is back was non-existent for FC Dallas. Well, yeah. it wasn't. I mean, they wish it was non-existent. They flew in there and then they had COVID cases. And I think, like at the time, I think we were still sort of, I guess the pandemic has been such a, a terrible thing for everyone, but it's also been a bit of a, like we always are learning more and like everything is kind of there are different levels of kind of like what was acceptable. Right. I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is I feel like they were really judged for having COVID cases in the team. And then, it, then you like, as time kept going on and more leagues started to restart and that kind of thing, it's like, Oh, it basically is impossible to get this thing out of your, your bubble. Right. So I think they were pretty frustrated by kind of the coverage and the fact that they got booted from the tournament and everything but also just because they didn't get to come back as soon as a lot of the teams in MLS did. And it made it really difficult to, to come together as a team. Once the actual kind of in-market restart happened, you had players like Frank Ojada, their forward, they signed from Pachuca veteran forward, Argentine, you know, knows how to score goals in Liga Mekis knows how to score goals in CONCACAF play really didn't have a good season with Dallas, but what was his adaptation period? He showed up, they flew to Orlando, they had no trainings, they all got COVID, not all of them, but like a lot of guys got COVID, they got kicked out of the tournament, flew back, couldn't train because of the COVID situation still. And then by the time he gets out there, he's like, well, I haven't played for a month and a half, I've never played with these guys, and now you're asking me to bang in these goals. So that's not a direct quote, right? But those are the situations that, that they were in. So it was difficult. Then once the season started, I think they were able to find a, a good rhythm. Their defense really was just incredibly solid. And they were able to kind of ride that to to the playoffs and then taking it one step farther from what they did the previous year, which is winning a playoff game. So uh, this year they go out against the Seattle Sounders once again, but they took one step forward. Last year they were, you know, 2019, they were in the playoffs, immediately lost to the Sounders. This year they're in the playoffs, beat the Timbers on a dramatic, in dramatic fashion, play the Sounders, play a really good game. I think it was a, a frustrating game for them to lose because they game, the game plan that manager Lucha Gonzalez X drew up they executed almost perfectly, but they lost on a set piece goal and that's kind of what happened. So I think there's a lot of desire to get back and take one more step or maybe even two more steps, get to MLS cup final and see what happens. But I would say 2020, you know, look, FC Dallas 2020 went like a lot of people's did. Yeah. There were some good moments, but there was also a lot of bad that just didn't seem avoidable. Yeah, that's, I think you're right. That's, that's 2020. So so much all the way around. So how about the off season, you know, so far, obviously we've sold off two, two players to Europe now. Right. Um, like what, what does that look like? And then, um, do you still, 
what changes do you do you expect to, to see made uh, in order to set it up for 21? Yeah, I think like losing Brian Reynolds at the right back position, he wasn't there long enough, I think, for it to be a huge concern about how you're going to replace him. Plus, they have Eddie Munjoma, another homegrown player, another guy they could just slot in. They have other options there at the right back spot. But I think the fact that you have Matt Hedges, the, the longtime center back that we were mentioning, anchoring that unit, you don't have too many concerns about the defense. The attack, they've done a few interesting things. Number one is they've sort of swapped Michael Barrios, who's a longtime winger, for what seems like new Michael Barrios. Uh, they, they signed a very short, fast Colombian winger, and that's what Michael Barrios was. But Barrios, I think, is starting to maybe starting to lose a step. I think he still can contribute, but last year wasn't quite able to, to set up as many goals as he had been in the past and certainly didn't score like he did in the past. His finishing was not where, where it had been. And I think his fitness probably suffered a little bit. COVID made it difficult. These guys were playing games every three days, and some players need that week of rest to be able to go fresh again. So they moved on from him, and now Yadero O'Brien, this guy uh, they signed from Colombia, is in. They brought a new center back from Spain who has La Liga experience. So uh, you would think that he could be pretty solid. It's left-footed, so should be a good addition next to Hedges. But but really, I think the question mark is just who is going to create in the attack? What What is the attack going to look like? Paxton Pomichol, who had a fantastic performance at the U-20 World Cup a few years ago, is, is back from injury. Well, it should be back from injury by the time the season starts. He's a player who's very versatile, um, was kind of looked at, I think, by a lot of people as maybe a future star of the U.S. national team. And with a couple injuries, has sort of maybe lost that label, but certainly could earn it back, I think, this season. But the question is really, where does he play? Is he a winger? Is he a two-way midfielder? If he's a two-way midfielder, then who else is even going to get on the field? Because there's a lot of a lot of players who can go both ways in that FC Dallas midfield. So I think those are the big questions is kind of where does the goal generation come from? And, and who are going to fill those roles because they do have some new pieces, but nobody, you know, Austin, whatever you want to say about, about Tomas Pochettino and, and Cecilia Dominguez, you know, you don't know exactly how they're going to play in MLS, but you're used to seeing them play in pretty big competitions. You know, Dominguez was, was fantastic with America, did pretty well with Independiente, maybe never got his footing. I don't know with Guarani, wasn't terrible, wasn't amazing. Pochettino, kind of an unknown quantity, but, you know, standout, good recommendations from the Argentine league. FC Dallas didn't sign anyone like that. They signed players who it's like, yeah, they could work, but they also might not. So you, you, you kind of are going to see who steps up. And with FC Dallas, the question always is as well, which of these young players is going to beat out those guys for a spot and be the next one that gets sold to Europe. So I think there are the pieces there. I think the expectation is they are as good or better than 2020 than they were in 2020. And I think that's reasonable, but it doesn't happen just by snapping your fingers. And I think obviously the coaching staff knows that. Kind of giving a little bit more context to Austin fans who have not been to a game up in uh, up in Frisco. Um, what can what what is the stadium culture like? What is fan culture like? What can Austin fans expect to see when they make that first trip up there? Yeah, um, I I, I kind of gave my 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 credentials there, and that I love. I, I've loved this club for a long time. Now I wouldn't say I love them because you know again it's kind of a journalistic thing. But hopefully that sort of makes what I'm going to say more diplomatic. Uh, the experience is not great. The stadium experience I would classify as pretty poor. Um, the stadium itself is fine, but I, you know, credit to the organization for getting it built, for, for being able to fund it. But it shows that it's one of the oldest soccer-specific stadiums in the country. 
and the location is not one you would pick if you were starting a franchise in Dallas now. Um, if you're coming from Austin, you're going to go through all the cool things in Dallas, all the nice parts. Not not nice, but you know, like like oh, a bar that the you can drink parts. at before the game, right? Like you know, the the neighborhoods where young people go out and where young people live in Dallas are a good forty minutes, thirty to forty minute drive from Frisco. Frisco has some things. There is some culture there, but it's uh it's a suburb i mean it just is right like it, that that is that is what it is um so the in-stadium experience is not necessarily you know i, I think in time at times fc dallas has a difficult time deciding who they're marketing to who they're marketing for who they exist for you know that there is this kind of outreach toward the suburban uh, cultures towards soccer moms toward youth players but then you kind of have this sort of like I don't want to say grudging, but like you do have outreach now and then to supporters groups, to soccer hardcores, to nerds like you and you and I who are watching games every weekend from Spain, from England, et cetera. But in some ways, I think you end up getting the worst of both worlds. And you have soccer moms who are mad that the supporters are cussing and supporters mad that, you know, that they're, they're getting kicked out because they said a bad word in a chant that rhymed and was funny. Right. So <laughs> I, I think like. I, I would like to see it be better and maybe it will be. I think the club is kind of aware that it has an image problem in a way. And I think that Austin, if nothing else, can motivate FC Dallas to, 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 to take maybe a different approach because I think Austin is really sounding a lot of the right notes with their marketing. Obviously the proof is in the taste of the pudding. We'll have to see how it looks. But when you look at the stadium, when you look at the, the number, like look, the number of people on Austin FC's season ticket waiting list is not that much smaller than the number of people that normally show up to an FC Dallas game, right? I really do think like when everything is better, which we hope is soon, and it's the first kind of post-pandemic or whatever regular life uh, FC Dallas hosting Austin FC game, I cover the Mexican league and like when Tigres would travel, they, they did these, they called them invasions, uh, where the fans would show up to the stadium four hours away, six hours away, and the, the supporters group would set up caravans or buses and trucks and everybody's going and everybody's waving their flags, having a great time, big road trip, big party. And they would have 75% of the stadium easy. I wouldn't be surprised to see that with Austin. I, I just, the, the FC Dallas, and, and look, like I, I say this with love because like the hardcore fans are the audience on the Striker Texas that are reading, that care about the club, that want to know who the youth players are, that want to know what's going on in the academy. And I was there too, right? But I think that the hardcore FC Dallas fan is just vastly outnumbered. Uh, there's just not, I, you know, pocos pero locos. Like there's, there's, they're a great bunch. They're a hardcore bunch. They're a faithful bunch, but there's not that many compared to what other clubs can point at. What Austin, it looks like, will be able to point at. What LAFC can point out. Even what some old school clubs can point at. You know, clubs that are also '96, founded in 1996. You know, there, there are other teams that have bigger support and, and better better looking support just because of the numbers. Right. And that's, I, I want to make that clear. Like I'm not, the people who are there are doing what they can. They're, they're, they're passionate. They're waving the flags they are following the team and they're, they're awesome. Right. They're dedicated. And even and, and it's even better that they're doing that when it's not trendy, when it's not necessarily cool, but I do think the club could, could do more to help them out. Right. So maybe a, a bit more harsh answer than, than even you were looking for, but I think that's truly, Unfortunately, that that does feel to me like the environment around the team. So you already kind of maybe hit a few of these notes, but what do you expect to see change or what are you kind of 
uh, just expecting to change within the Texas dynamic with bringing in a third team in Austin. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think, I don't know, because on the one hand, it's like I'm saying, yeah, it should be motivating, but so should seeing Atlanta United, right? And, and, and that's a club that has a lot in common with FC Dallas. The FC Dallas is owned by the Hunts. Uh, Lamar Hunt was like this absolute pioneer for soccer in the U.S., helped basically keep MLS alive, helped the NASL get kickstarted. Uh, before it folded and, and really I don't think you know the U.S. Open Cup is named after him and rightfully so I don't think we have that this discussion I don't think we have soccer in the U.S. without Lamar Hunt he's passed his son's from a team and Clark Hunt is uh, also manages and runs and owns the, the Kansas City Chiefs right fantastic organization won the Super Bowl last year made it all the way to the Super Bowl this year Atlanta United has a lot in common with them when you look at yeah okay it's a different market but like Arthur Blank runs both right and and did everything with this sort of soccer first touch soccer first approach so there already is a model for fc dallas to look at and they've been you know the hunts have traveled to games and seen those environments but i do wonder if having something like austin down the road from them will be a little bit more of a of a kick in the pants right because i i think that you, you just don't see that sort of community connection right and it's difficult. It's not, it's not something you can, you can't tweet your way out of it. You can't, you can't create that community connection without really being there. And with the COVID pandemic, it's difficult to do things on the ground, right? Even political campaigns are having trouble with the same thing, right? How do you knock on doors? How do you show up at kick around safely? You can't, right? It's tough. So I'm, I'm willing to give some grace. And I think there are people that work at the club that are doing a great job. And I think there is a desire, but that third MLS team in Texas to answer your question, I think should be a real wake up call because look, we know Austin's a great city. We know it's a different market than Dallas. You know, you're marketing against UT basically, but obviously it's still a different category and that it's just your only professional team is Austin FC. And if you want to rep Austin, that's really your only option in the professional sports sphere. Dallas is much different than that. It's always going to be a Cowboys town. But I do think like there are probably things that you can take. And the fact that Austin looks like it's going to be such a rabid market, uh, a fantastic fan base. And Dallas-Fort Worth is, I don't even know, four times bigger. Is that right? The population is like four times bigger when you look at the market, maybe even bigger than that. And yet you're still not able to draw as many fans for your season ticket list. I mean, I do think it has to be sort of a, a point where you look and say, hold on, like, what are we doing here? And what needs to change? So that's my, like I said, kind of, you know, fingers crossed uh, hope. Again, like from a neutral perspective, because if the team is bad and doesn't do things well, that's what all right. But if the team is good and does things well, that's what all right. I think the jerseys look sick. Like there's a lot of good stuff that's happening, like off the field that the social media voice, I think, has been positive. Like it's going in the right direction. Like it's fun. They're talking about the Academy kids. They did the big bad Brian for Brian Reynolds last year, which is like kind of just a goofy fun thing i think like lean into that mls fans like that stuff and so there are positive things happening but i think there needs to be even more and i think that vision and the direction really needs to be there from top to bottom and we'll have to see if it gets there and if austin fc and these other mls teams that are coming in and really really dominating their markets and really becoming relevant in the community if they're motivating to fc dallas yeah i mean i i honestly hope the same thing like if um i i think rising tide raises all boats and all that like 
more stronger teams and more strong fan bases in MLS is only going to make it a better product and a more fun thing to be a part of. So I hope that happens too. No, absolutely. I think that like, and it, and it's sort of an MLS issue as well, because you look at some of the, I said, you know, like oh, a lot of the, the 96 legacy teams are, are doing well. There's a couple Dallas, Colorado Rapids, New England revolution and Chicago fire who weren't a 96 team came in in 98. They're, they're kind of, they're, they're spinning their wheels a bit, right? The fire at least are trying to do something. They're like, all right, we'll move to Shoulder Field. We'll move, we'll, we'll redo the logo. Oh, we screwed up the logo. Okay, we'll try it again, right? We're going to get the community <laughs> involved. But, you know, you look at the Rapids, you look at FC Dallas, on the field, the product is good for FC Dallas. And I think big getting better for the Rapids. But I don't know. I, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. And I do think at some point the league might have to say, if we want this image of being the coolest thing on the block and yet – we can't sustain that image in these three, four or five cities where we've been in since 1996. How can we as the league make a difference? But like I said, the hunts have a lot of cachet with the league and they should because Lamar basically said the league. So um, we'll, we'll see. It's going to be an interesting dynamic, but I do hope that it's fun. This new kind of three team MLS rivalry. I think that it naturally Dallas could be a stronger rival for Austin than Houston proximity, whatever. But like just because FC Dallas is a really good team on the field, they should be better than Austin FC this year, to be quite honest. So hopefully there is that sort of sporting reason for a rivalry as well. And that can feed into Austin fans getting excited about playing FC Dallas, even though maybe the stadium won't be full whenever they go play FCD in Frisco. But also FC Dallas fans being like, oh, yeah, we should go out to the game against Austin because we hate those guys or whatever. Right. In a fun sporting way. Yeah, of course. All right. Well, John, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for sharing your FC Dallas knowledge. And uh, remind our, fr- our uh, listeners one more time where they can find your work. Oh, man. Best place is Twitter. But my Twitter is complicated. Everything is complicated. My, my Twitter is <laughs> at Arnold, comma, John. You have to spell out comma and John has no H. Arnold, comma, John. You can probably at this point Google John Arnold soccer and hopefully it pops up, but no promises. <laughs> <laughs> Or you can uh, have a sister-in-law who worked at the Daily Toreador and it will suggest you as a friend on Facebook. (laughs) You know, at least we actually have something in common. Facebook recently has been like, random person? I'm like, I have no idea why you're suggesting (laughs) that. Never met them. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, but always always great to connect with some Red Raiders. I, I... My tweets about Texas Tech basketball and football usually get like one like or two likes, but I'm just going to keep putting them out there. I, I, I don't care. I don't care that you don't like them, UT fans listening to this podcast. So Chase your bliss, John. Chase your bliss. <laughs> I will. My bliss would be Texas Tech being good at football again and winning a basketball national championship. <laughs> we'll see if it happens. I think that's more likely than, than the FC Dallas uh, uh, marketing <laughs> turnaround, but we'll keep the fingers crossed for all three. All right. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. My pleasure, guys. Take it. Bye. Cool. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Take care. All right. We want to thank John Arnold one more time for joining us. We'd like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And we also encourage you to visit the Striker Texas website and then also the new app, which looks fantastic. Yeah. And if you want to continue the soccer conversation, you can check us out on, on Twitter at J Bentley ATX, L Viajero 87, and Chris C. Wellhausen. C. Wellhausen, yeah. yes. We're always looking to connect with our soccer fans, talk about the sport we love. Chris likes to start fight with random, random SAFC fans. No, actually, good friend of ours, <laughs> friend of the show, who's, who's ready to start playing us. 
uh, Harry. But yeah, we'll, it's it's good to make those connections. All right, Chris, thanks for joining us. Fun as always. We'll have you back soon. Yeah, thanks, um, guys. Listeners, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Moon Tower Soccer. We will be back in one week with an exciting guest. Uh, Austin FC goalkeeper Brad Stuver is going to be joining us. So our first player interview, we're excited about that. So we'll be back in one week with the next episode. Until then, my name is Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. And I'm Chris Wellhausen. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around.